This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Is the Premier League title race back on? We'll get into that very shortly after Manchester City slipped up this weekend. We'll also talk through Liverpool's win over Norwich and the upcoming Leeds United fixture to come on Wednesday. I'm your host, Matt Addison, with Theo Squires and Richard Garnett, both with me to get stuck into all of those topics. Theo, I'll come to you first. I think we better talk about the, the title race and what has happened this weekend. With that, of course, we'll come to the actual game itself and Leeds and all the rest of it Liverpool-wise later on. But the main talking point is the Premier League title race. Simple question to start with. Is it back on? Yeah, of course it's back on. Uh, in a few days, we'll hopefully be saying it's only, what, a three-point gap? And then, yeah, there might be a, another game in hand looming at the weekend. We'll have not in Premier League action. But considering, what, six weeks ago, it looked done and dusted. A three-horse race has become a one-horse race. Uh, this is what we all wanted, to actually get that battle between these two sides. Liverpool and City are the two best sides in England, if not Europe. Um, and we've had a couple of times where like, there was the Champions League quarterfinal in 17-18. There was the, the final day shootout in 18-19 between them when they were properly going for right until the end when it mattered most. Since then, we've been robbed of that. We've um, seen Liverpool storm to Premier League glory as injuries cost City and then the shoe was on the other foot last year. We've been overdue this where both teams can actually go for it. And I know it's only February. A lot of can happen before we get this uh, showdown between them at the Etihad uh, in April. But we've done a piece today. They could be playing four times in a row in April. If you've got the FA Cup semi-finals, the Champions League quarterfinals, uh, it is set up nicely for these two gigantic sides, these great sides to be going for all these honours and have to get past each other. It's what you want. Uh, it's what all the neutrals will want. It's what the TV producers will be wanting as they pick all their, their fixtures. And it's just exciting. Like You think last year, Liverpool were having to get excited about playing the lesser sides just to get into a top four race. This is what they were missing. A proper title race where they're competing for honours. They've got a cup final at the weekend. And if they just keep winning their games, that uh, that trip to the Etihad in April, it, it's mouth-watering. Um, they've not had many happy visits there in recent years. But when there's going to be so much riding on it, can your nerves take it? And you think at the moment, Liverpool are the side in confidence. Yeah, six points the gap, Richard, with the game in hand. The visit to the Etihad to come, as Theo says. I mean, you've just got to be excited, haven't you? We've got to enjoy the, the next few months. It's it's going to be intense for Liverpool fans. Uh, this is what being a Liverpool supporter is all about, though, isn't it? You're at the, uh, the sharp end of uh, winning trophies and competing for silverware and the fact that they're competing on four fronts and, and who knows, hopefully get a first piece of silverware on Sunday. Um, you know, supporters are just licking the lips at the prospect of this. Uh, only a few weeks ago, you think the league is is something you're not even got an eye on, really, um, in terms of how invincible Manchester City looked. It just looked like this this well-oiled machine that didn't look capable of dropping a point. And all of a sudden, they've, they've dropped a couple against Southampton and then... I mean, the game on Saturday was was unbelievable. Really, it was such an exciting match, and it and it showed that they have got vulnerabilities. I mean, if you if you look at the um, we've considered three goals, but if you look at where they've scored the goals from in the game, one goal's come from an error from from the goalkeeper, and the other one's come from the penalty spot. So so for once, someone's found a way of of um, 
stopping Manchester City from scoring the type of goals that they normally score and, and have been scoring at will. Um, and, you know, Pep Guardiola has been often referring to Liverpool in his press, conference, press conferences, e- even when he's not really been asked about them. Um, so th- th- they do seem to be like a thorn in his side. And I think from a Liverpool perspective now, this is really exciting and almost... It's like it was only like feels like a week ago. Just talking about oh, could could they do do a cup travel? All of a sudden, that almost feels a little bit sidelined just for a moment while the focus shifts back to the Premier League and, and what looks like it's going to be a really exciting end to the season. So yeah, it's a great time, great time of the season, a good time to be involved in a title running. It's quite nice to be the the hunter rather than the hunted. Like even when City beat Liverpool in eighteen nineteen, it wasn't until right at the end of the campaign when they had that game in hand against Leicester that they, they officially overtook them. Like, I think we were all resigned to the fact that City weren't going to drop any points and that it would have taken a big slip up from them. But Liverpool had been in that position of strength and you were waiting for City to lose for half a season and they just won 18 games out of 19, which was an incredible run. It's how good these two sides are. But now... It's, it is almost the role reversal of that. City are the side who are at the top, but Liverpool have nothing to lose here. Like We're sitting here thinking we've got the hope back, we've got the excitement back, knowing Liverpool have got it in their talent. to They're talented enough to go on a run and to win the league. But at the same time, you wouldn't be surprised if they didn't. If they dropped points, you'd be disappointed, but it's not as though they've failed. Like The fact that they've made it a title race again, they, they have got nothing to lose. You either pull off this great win by overtaking City and it'll be one of the greatest ever title triumphs or you fall just short against a side who are one of the best the Premier League has ever seen but to get back in this position and to potentially set up a showdown against City uh, it's credit to Liverpool because they did look done and dead and buried only a few weeks ago. I think what you said before Richard in terms of there being a kind of template for other teams to follow obviously Tottenham did really well to to stop City counter-attack them as as well and and got in behind I think so often when you watch Manchester City they just score that first goal and you just know that that's basically it no one's going to get back into them but does this weekend's game psychologically more than anything else just sort of change it a little bit not necessarily for City but maybe for the opponents that they're coming up against? Well, every time I see City play, they seem to score the same goal. They get the ball in between the centre-back and the full-back, uh, in behind, pull it back from the byline, and, and one of their many, several talented players is there to run onto it and smack it into the net. And, and, and Tottenham, for once, were a team that stopped them from doing that. Um, and I, other teams will look at that. and I mean, surely they, they all must know where that goal comes from, but it's just a case of being able to stop it against such quality opposition, isn't it? But uh, I think certainly Spurs, uh, and let's not forget Spurs had lost the last three uh, consecutive league matches. They, they must have looked at Southampton and thought, well, what did they do right? And now hopefully other teams are going to look at Spurs and say, well, what did Spurs do right in this? And um, it has kind of just, it's it certainly changed my own mindset in terms of the fact that I'm no, no longer thinking it's, absolutely inevitable that Manchester City will win every game that they play in because that is that is certainly how it's felt uh, for well, maybe probably the majority of the season so I think I think there is encouraging signs there uh, for other teams now to to maybe uh, have a bit more of a go at Manchester City than they thought they could or I think the important thing is just being able to stop them scoring first and foremost isn't it and then you might you might get something at the other end um but I, and I think that that knock-on effect as well for Liverpool, who obviously still got to go to the Etihad, 
Um, but know, knowing that uh, there is pressure on Manchester City now, which there is, and it's, and I don't know, maybe it's a slightly different pressure, certainly different to what they had last season, um, how different it would have been to uh, when the teams went closer in the season before Liverpool actually won it, I'm not too sure. Um, but but it, it's a pressure that they all have to deal with. They, they've got to, uh, they, as, as Theo said, uh, it's Liverpool who are chasing, um, City of the chase, and they're going to have to respond to that. I'd still expect them to win most of their games, of course. Um, but knowing how close it could go and, and you know, Guardiola, he does feel that tension. He's a very intense character, isn't he? He does, he does feel that tension. And you wonder if any of that uh, transfers to his players. I mean, I guess we'll find out soon enough. But, yeah, um, I, I feel like City aren't done. You know, a Liverpool game excluded. I feel like City aren't done in terms of the points that they'll drop, as Liverpool probably aren't as well. Uh, and and that very notion probably makes it all the more tantalising. Yeah, it'd certainly be interesting to see what Pep Guardiola was like if, as Theo said before, it does transpire that Liverpool play Manchester City four times in 18 days. That would certainly make things very interesting, wouldn't it? Just a, a final point, Theo, before we, we move on, obviously. We both mentioned there that we don't expect that both Liverpool and City will win every game, but the maximum number of points that Liverpool can get is 96. Manchester City up there, as well, and it's going to be very, very close. But how many do you think it'll take for whoever it is to, to win the title? How much margin for error is there for Liverpool over this last 13-game period? Um, not much. I think we've been saying for a while now that if Liverpool want to win the title, they're just going to have to go on a, a run like City did when they won 18 out of 19. That's what it would take for them to win the Premier League title. But then teams are going to drop points it's just with Liverpool and City, when they set such standards, it's impossible to predict where it comes from. But the fact that Liverpool are going on all four fronts, which we've not seen them do before, that City will be wanting to win the Champions League, they'll maybe have attentions on the FA Cup. These are big games that are going to be coming one after the other after the other. The squads both sides have got, they've got enough depth there to uh, have fresh legs to rotate and still be strong enough to win these games. But when they are coming, Champions League quarter final. Man City versus Liverpool, Champions League quarter-final, FA Cup semi-final, when it's all that in quick succession and you can have teams at the bottom of the table who are at the moment in February, we're saying that's an easy three points. Well, when they're fighting for their lives at the end of the season, shocks can happen. Um, you've just got to focus on your own results. I know we're all getting excited now because City have lost the game, but Liverpool can't really fall into that mindset. From the very beginning, it's, you just have to win as many of your games as you can and hope it's enough at the end of the season. And the fact that the set standards Liverpool and City have set, it has been 98 points, 99 points, 96 points. It's always been in that region and it's almost become normal. Like there have been seasons where you'd only need, what, late 70s, early 80s to win the titles when you think of United's heyday or when Leicester won it. It is just so much higher now. and You can't rely on teams to drop off for you to get enough. You just have to be as consistent as you can, win as many games as you can, and then look at the table in May. Um, but then whenever City drop points, Liverpool get excited, or Liverpool fans will get excited, and I'm sure it'll be the same vice versa. That's what happens when you've got them both spurring each other on like this. Yeah, absolutely. Liverpool can only take care of their own job, but they did do that, Richard, against Norwich on Saturday. We'll skip over the first 62 minutes or whatever, because that wasn't particularly interesting. But as soon as Thiago Alcantara came on, everything changed. Yeah, he looked like uh, Dan Marino and his pomp then. I think uh, Thiago, when he came on, he just assumed that quarterback role and started getting Liverpool ticking over a lot quicker uh, than it seemed possible in that first hour of the match. And 
you know, there is an argument that Norwich may have started to tire after an hour, but I, I don't think that uh, should take anything away from the influence that he had on the game. He immediately got a grip of it uh, and started to feed in passes that, that probed um, that Norwich defence and ultimately has led to three goals. I thought it was a fantastic performance from Thiago. Um, and, you know, there's been some question marks over the various roles that he does in that midfield for Liverpool and what the right balance is. Uh, and yeah, in the middle of the park for Jurgen Klopp, but uh, you know, com- compared to um, some of the uh, replacements that started the game for him, there's no contest really. And I think uh, I think there's more to come from Thiago this season. I'm very excited to see it. Yeah, it was a, a really good performance from him, wasn't it, Theo? I mean, I know, I know there was a formation change; they brought the extra attacker on, but for me, the, the game changed purely and simply because of, of Thiago. And I suppose. It probably makes Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Naby Keita, those who were on a little bit earlier on, look even worse as a result. It wasn't a case of them being appalling. It was it was more a case, for me at least, of, of Thiago just being on another level. Yeah, I think it's a few games now where we've seen Jurgen Klopp make the changes and it's just worked. He's seen what the game needed. At Burnley, Liverpool needed to get control of the ball, pass it around more. They needed Thiago. Against Inter Milan, they needed to get stuck in a bit more, wrestle control of it and have the leaderships of Jordan Henderson with Naby Keita getting forward. They needed Luis Diaz to run at teams. They needed Firmino to drop deeper and win the, the, the ball back. And against Norwich, they just needed to calm it down. Klopp said that himself in the press conference. When Norwich um, scored, you could feel the anxiety around the stadium. It did feel like oh, this could be the day that the title challenge is over. It's a game that you'd expect Liverpool to win. And while they'd had chances, they'd had so many shots, they, they hadn't really tested Angus Gunn as much as they'd like. There were a couple of where he's uh, got down low and like tipped away ahead of from Van Dijk or Simicash should have scored. But you, you'd expect to see more from Liverpool. On paper, the front three was very exciting, but it didn't quite click. And it took those changes and the formation change for it all to work. And Thiago, he just got brought the best out of everyone around him. He could calm it down. He could keep the ball and it suddenly became not a case of can Liverpool get a draw here? Of how many are they going to score? And the fact that it happened in such quick uh, succession, the two goals, it, it was electric at Anfield. You were there as well, and you could feel how the atmosphere just rose as soon as those subs came on. It was waiting for the equaliser. Then Mane gets it, and you're waiting for the second. It was just incredible. And it's not an atmosphere you expect to feel against Norwich. It wasn't just Thiago. Him coming on did unleash Henderson, who was brilliant in that second half as well. His pass for Diaz's goal was superb. And it bringing on Origi as well, it just made it work for the front three, having them as that four. Having Mane in his natural position on the left, uh, giving Diaz that free roll off um, Origi and then just getting Origi to occupy the centre-backs because the big physical centre-backs who Norwich have got and we saw Diaz getting pushed all over the place. Mane was having to drop deep and really couldn't get involved and while Salah was on the ball and he was wriggling free, he was still getting crowded out a little bit. Origi just gave them something else to focus on and Liverpool could just unlock the pitch in front of them. Um like Origi's run, I think it's gone unnoticed for the second goal, but he completely takes Grant Hanley's attentions away. And that's why Salah can put it in the bottom corner. We know how good Diaz's run for the third was. And Sadio Mane, I swear for like four or five years, he's been trying these overhead kicks and he's been getting closer and closer. And finally, he's got one. Uh, but yeah, the substitutions again, 
that's what made the difference to Liverpool. That's why they signed Lewis Diaz in January. That's why they've got this strength and depth now. And that's why we've, you've got confidence in Liverpool to suddenly win every game before them. Because when things aren't going their way, they can make those changes and turn the tide. Um, bit of a disappointment that they've lost Firmino and Jota to injury, but the depth's still there and they're going to need it over the next few weeks and months. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, we hope that Diogo Jota and Roberto Firmino are, are back as soon as possible, Richard. But the fact that Divock Origi, Takumi Minamino came off the bench, you've still got a front three of Diaz, Mane and Salah. I mean, it, it just, that that for me more than anything just underlines how much depth Liverpool have got now is you've got two of the, the first choice players missing and you don't really notice it. Oh, make no mistake, this is the strongest Liverpool squad there's ever been, you know, and certainly in my lifetime and before that, you're going back to two substitutes. So it's safe to say it's definitely the strongest squad that uh, Liverpool have ever had. And without that, there's absolutely no way that they can compete on four fronts uh, and, you know, potentially get into more cup finals as well. They have to have players of of that standard, that quality, interchangeable players that can come in and, and you know, and, and play within the systems that, that Klopp trains his starting eleven to play in all the, all the time and, and, and do it effectively. And, and that's exactly what they've done. You know, you've seen that blueprint really with Manchester City and, and the amazing squad that they've got and how they can just swap and change players. You know, they've got big name players there that are struggling for game time and it doesn't make any difference because they're still winning games and, all of a sudden, um, Jürgen Klopp finds himself in a situation where he's had to leave players out of his first-team squad that would ordinarily expect to be there. And although, yes, a, a couple will get back in now because of the injuries to Jota and, uh, and to Firmino, um, but, it, it, you know, for some of those players, it's tough now. And, and we're talking about decent footballers. Uh, they just, just can't seem to be able to force their way into that start, starting there, or sorry, the, on, even onto the bench rather than just the starting eleven. And that is a really good headache for Jurgen Klopp to have because all, he, all it's doing now is raising the competitive levels uh, of all the players in his team. And, and you're going to need all of them going into these games now because because. When you get to this business end, you think, or oh, you look at the fixture list, you think, how many games have we got left? And you look at you look at how many league games are left. But of course, any advancement in the Champions League or the FA Cup is going to mean more games, and and every single one of those players is going to have a role to play. None, uh, none less significant than Divock Origi, whose pedigree for a big goal knows no bounds, and uh, who would bet against him coming up with some sort of significant goal in the next couple of months? Certainly not me. Yeah, he'd certainly like to hope there's at least one more left for Divock Origi before his contract expires. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Let's go more than one. You can get one in the Sunday. You'll have a few more. One per Champions League round, then. eh? (laughs) Needs to justify that statue he's going to get at the end, doesn't he? uh... (laughs) Yeah, I believe Kiefer O'Neill's still constructing that, so hopefully it's done by the end of the season. Uh, Theo, just in terms of the the front line and and the options that we've got, I mean, Luis Diaz, uh, Sadio Mane and and Mohamed Salah all on the score sheet this weekend. I mean, how important do you think that was, given that Jota and uh, obviously Firmino are, are out now for a little while? It can't have been a bad thing, can it, for, for Luis Diaz to, to get himself off the mark? No, it can't. Um, Klopp was asked in the press conference about that. Um, I think it was about his favourite Mohamed Salah goal out of the 150. And he used his answer to turn it into, hopefully, Diaz can use his first goal to go and get 150 himself in the next three, four years. Uh, it's a testament to Diaz and his quality that he's come into a new league, a new country, when the weather's as vile as it is and completely out of his comfort zone. 
and he looks like he's a Liverpool player from the off. He's not needed that time to settle. And his performance against Norwich was probably one of his worst since we've seen so far, yet he still ended it with a goal to his name. Um, he just looks so talented. You can see why the management are so excited about him. And then Mohamed Salah, he scores every week. He's, what, 150 now, he's 25 for the season. Um, you run out of things to say about him. It's just such a, a well-taken goal from him. He could have easily just given it to one of his teammates either side of him to let, give them the finish, but he's got that hunger, doesn't he? He knows the keeper's out of position. He knows there's an open goal somewhere that he's just got to find the space. And sure enough, he found the space, found the bottom corner. And Mane, uh, it's been an interesting season for him. Best player at Cup of Nations, wasn't he? He scores the, the winner in the shootout. But he was on a little bit of a goal drought before that tournament. I know he scored for um, Liverpool, I think it was in his last appearance against Chelsea before he went away. But he's not had it as easy in front of goal as he would like. So for him to get this overhead kick, uh, it was a great finish from him. And you still look at the charts, he's still fourth leading goal scorer in the Premier League with Sterling third, Jota second, Salah first. He's still doing the business. You need them to get goals. If you look at Origi's form this season, um, I think, was it Norwich was his first appearance since AC Milan. He scored in that game. He scored in Wolves before that. So he's actually got a decent return for goals to game. Minamino's the same, even though he's not getting opportunities as much as he'd like. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, he was scoring goals when he's in that front three. It's uh, quite remarkable that you can lose Jota. And we, we saw the loss of Jota, how much of an impact that had last year. You take him out now and it's not as painful as it would have been because even the players who aren't playing as much as they would like, when they do get the minutes, they do score the goals. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, absolutely. Just a, a quick word as well for Joe Gomez, Richard, who obviously came in for, for Trent Alexander-Arnold. Never going to be the exact same right back that Trent is. That would be pretty much impossible. But what did you make of him, of course, on his first Premier League start of this season? It's been a bit difficult for Joe Gomez, hasn't it? I mean, when we talk about this uh, uh, increasing competition for places, he's probably been a bit the fall guy in that. He's, you know, he's been pushed out of his favoured uh, centre back position, and and let's not forget this is this is a player who partnered Virgil Van Dijk in a title winning campaign, and all of a sudden finds himself sort of fourth fourth choice for that position, and and now acting as a deputy for Trent Alexander-Arnold, possibly the best left-back in the world, sorry, right-back in, in the world, certainly going forward. He's, he's going to bring different qualities to the game. Uh, I think he did OK, but I don't know, is it, is it always going to be unfair that anyone who ever plays full-back for Liverpool is going to be compared to uh, Alexander-Arnold um, masquerading down that wing and putting in sensational crosses? Um, of, of course, Gomez's defensive side to his games uh, is stronger than Trent and he'll still have a role to play but I think I do I feel a little bit sorry for him it's going to be difficult difficult for him he looks like he looks like a bit heavier now he looks a bit stockier than he than he was um uh, you know a couple of years back and and whether that that's built more for a center back I think than, than a right back so uh, I don't I don't see any sort of uh long-term future for Gomez in, in that position but you know then if it happens to Trent, you need someone to fill in and, and he's more than capable of doing that. And he, I, know, I know from that perspective, he certainly won't let anyone down. Yeah, not an easy game to, to judge him on, is it? But I'm sure he's probably just glad to, to get minutes anywhere on the pitch at the moment. But uh, anyway, that'll do, I think, for, for Norwich, of course. That turnaround against them won't mean anything unless Liverpool can get the three points against Leeds on Wednesday. So we should probably talk a little bit about that as well. We'll come to 
our team selections and match predictions very shortly. But just first and foremost, Theo, on, on Leeds, they've had an odd season themselves. I watched them against Manchester United this weekend. They did okay in, in patches, but still lost. They got absolutely battered by Everton last weekend as well. I mean, ultimately, Liverpool will have to work hard because that's a given in any game, not least against a Leeds team under Marcelo Bielsa. But if they do and they match what Leeds do, they probably should win this one quite comfortably. Yeah, they should. It has been difficult for Leeds, but you've got to look at their injury list. Like They were good last year and they had Bamford up front scoring every week. And I can't remember when he last played. Has he had like one game in months and then he got injured or he got a setback again and that? So you've taken away their, their top goal scorer there. Um, Calvin Phillips, he's so key to how they play. He's out for a while as well. They've just lost key players. And when you think it's so important to how they play, like Phillips is that holding midfielder unleash the rest of the team. He was their Perlo, if you like. He's had those comparisons, hasn't he? He was their dictator, um, organising everything. And it's just, they don't have the quality to replace him. The squad hasn't been big enough to replace him. And it's why they've gone from looking like they might sneak into Europe last year to almost being in a relegation battle this year. But that would happen for 18 teams in the Premier League. If you took out their two best players, you'd watch them just suddenly drop down that table. Um, but they've still got talent there. Like We know how good Rafinha is. That's why fans get excited with the fact that he gets linked with Liverpool. Uh, Jack Harrison is a pretty solid player as well. Um, Rodrigo was a bit of a fluky finish from him against the United from the cross. Dan James, he's have to play up front, isn't he, when he's just this quick winger. Um, they've still got talented players there who can cause Liverpool problems, getting behind the defence. James especially, like he's he's rapid and we know Liverpool like to play this higher line. But if they get one of those timed runs wrong, then James is going to be one-on-one -on -one and that can cause them problems. They're an entertaining side to watch, but you've just got to rely on Liverpool being at their best and being able to get the job done. They've done it against better sides than Leeds. Uh, so you'd think they've got enough about them. just depends how many changes we see. There was seven against Norwich and you could tell there were seven against Norwich for that first hour. Uh, Liverpool will need to start quickly because Leeds, when they have got that crowd behind them, when they're on form, they're a difficult size. It'll help that it's at Anfield. I just hope the League Cup final is not too much of a distraction. They've got players in there that can cause problems. There's a reason why Bielsa is so highly rated as this godfather of football management. It just hasn't happened for him because of all these injuries, but there will come a stage where they will start picking up points, where they will get wins. Against Solskjaer's United, they probably would have won on Sunday. Yeah, very true. Very true. Just uh, before we move on to our team selections then, Richard, I wanted to, to ask you about Rafinha, obviously a, a player that, that Theo mentions there. Thiago and Fabinho sparked a bit of conversation around him with their trip to Ellen Road this weekend. I'm sure that was nothing to do with that. I know Thiago is very good friends with uh, Rodrigo, the, the, uh, the lead striker, so I'm sure that's probably more likely to be the explanation. But is Rafinha a player that you'd be uh, be happy for Liverpool to be looking at? I know he's a very talented and very highly sought-after player all across Europe, in fact. Yeah, I know uh, Leeds fans rate him very highly and he's an exciting player. And I don't think he would look out of place on a Liverpool side. I just wonder if it's what they actually need, though. You know what I mean? If you look at Look at the other players that, that they've got available at the disposal now or the, or the firepower that they've got up top there. I, I suppose some of it comes down to what the long-term futures of the likes of Salah and Mane are. If they secure Salah on a new, on a new contract, um, I think you could probably put that one to bed, really. But, I, I, you know, I don't think it harms to keep that option open, uh, certainly at the moment, until uh, 
you know, the, the long-term futures of the likes of Salah and Mane are, are finalised. But, yeah, he's an exciting player and uh, we'll look forward to... Uh, I say we look forward to seeing what he can do on Wednesday. Hopefully he's not too good. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's certainly one to watch. Um, I also like um, uh, Joe Gellhart at, um, at Leeds as well. I think he's, a, you know, a bit a bit younger but um, and, and Liverpool-born player as well, of course. But uh, I think he's an exciting prospect and, and he'll be one to watch as well. Um, it, it made, he's been popular with the Leeds supporters since he's, since he's broken into the first team. He might not have... Uh, Quite have set the world alight as much as a certain other players, but um, he'll be one to watch as well. But yeah, Rafinha, good, but might not need necessarily what Liverpool need. Yeah, no, I agree with you there, to be honest. I think if uh, Mohamed Salah stays, he's going to struggle to get in the team ahead of him, isn't he? But be interesting to see actually whether he plays it. I'm not quite so sure, you know. You know? I, I'm, I, I'm not sure it's as reliant on Salah staying or going. Like the fact they've brought in Diaz, they've brought in Jota there is this clear plan in place for the front three and for the future of the front three. And we've seen before, Liverpool aren't strangers to siding the successor or keeping the current player around. It happened with Thiago and Wijnaldum. It happens now with Diaz and Jota. Salah, Mane, Firmino, they could leave in 2023. They could leave in the summer if a good offer comes in or they could sign con- good contracts. I think Liverpool now want that strength and depth. Like The fact that they've got these natural successors to two of the front three now, it's not beyond the realms of possibility for him to have a third, whether it's Rafinha, I don't know. I know there were links with um, Ajax's Anthony over the weekend, um, did ask the club about this, and they're a bit evasive, saying that can't really comment on it, but they imagine he's a player that a lot of clubs are looking at, so it's not exactly knocking it down entirely. But the interest in Bowen and Rafinha that we know is publicised predates the signing of Diaz. That was in the summer, and the fact that they've still gone for Diaz that they still want these this debt. They still want these um, players that they can alternate with. Like Salah could just grow up front as he gets older. It helps to have these options. Like we're not completely writing off Mane now because Diaz is in, because you can rotate them around. And it's also interesting with Rafinha. If you actually look at the number of players Klopp signed after they've done business against Liverpool, like Van Dijk's record with Southampton against Liverpool was superb. Like they knocked them out in League Cup semi-finals. They've got victories. They've got clean sheets. Uh, Mane, I think we'll remember him terrorising Liverpool in one game at St Mary's. Gio Wijnaldum actually got a goal and assist in one in Drew with Newcastle against them. Oxlade-Chamberlain scored for Arsenal against them. And there's so many. You can think of Minamino, Diaz, Ragnar Klavan. You can just go through so many of the squad they've just signed after they've done the business against them the year before. Rafinha might not be the next name to join that list but it always helps to have that first-hand look at this Anfield audition that he's about to get and Jared Bowen will get himself in a couple of weeks' time when West Ham comes to town. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he starts, actually, because he was taken off at half-time, wasn't he, at Goodison, and then didn't start against Manchester United. So I suppose you could say maybe he's due a start and he's been well-rested to put in a good audition. But uh, we shall see. What we can do is predict, obviously, our Liverpool uh, teams for the game. We know that Alisson will be in goal. Richard, I'll come to you first. Do you want to talk us through your, your back four? I suspect there could probably be a, a couple more changes compared to, to the Norwich game. I, I haven't changed it much, to be honest with you. Um, and the reason for that is because I fancy Andy Robertson to play in the final uh, and therefore Simicus stays at left-back uh, for this game for me. Um, and I would stick with Van Dijk and Matip um, in the middle, and will probably probably bring Trent in 
on on the right hand side just for this match, just to uh, get, let them get a feel for it ahead of the final, which will inevitably start. So, so my back fours: Trent Matic, Van Dijk, and Simicus. Interesting. I'm a, a couple of players different. I've gone for for Trent and, and Van Dijk, but I bring bring Robertson back in and go for Ibrahim Akonato as well. I think there's a good chance that Joel Matip is is rested for for Sunday. But Theo, who are you uh, more in agreement with? How many changes is it for you? I'd imagine both fullbacks come back in. I think we said on the pod last week we expected one of them to be rested against Leeds and one of them to be rested against Norwich. And Jurgen Klopp did the curveball by resting them both completely. It just seems odd to take them both out. Like these are athletes, they play most weeks. Yeah, you can protect them against a possible injury, but they'll want to play in these games. They'll want to get these assists, um, clean sheets. There was a piece with Trent in the programme when he was saying how disappointed he was that he didn't get more assists when Salah was away at the Cup of Nations because he wants to be leading that assist chart quite comfortably. So I'd expect both fullbacks to come back in. It would be a surprise if they weren't for sure. At centre-back, I think Van Dijk's probably one of only what two players that you don't rotate when he's available, when he's fit and everything. So you'd expect Van Dijk to start. And then it's just who's starting for you at Wembley because you imagine you give them the night off here. I can see the argument for Matip. Like it'd be a big week for him if you put him in three times in a week when you've got that final. I wonder if there's a temptation to give Joe Gomez another start and to let him actually play at centre-back. I think he's only had one minute in the Premier League at centre-back this year. And that was in a back five when Robertson had been sent off already against Tottenham. Uh, but at the same time, he does seem way down the pecking order. So I think I'm leaning towards Matip's in the cup final. Canate starts this one, like you said, Matt. Yeah, I wouldn't be against Joe Gomez either, to be honest. I think it'd be uh, be nice for, for him to get some minutes in his proper position. Uh, Theo, I'll stick with you for, for the midfield. Again, probably a couple of changes. I'll tell you mine first, in fact. I'll go for, for Thiago, Fabinho and then Harvey Elliott, which is, I believe, the midfield three that started against Leeds in the reverse fixture. It is, and it's the, the trio that started at the San Siro as well, isn't it, last week? Um, that I did um, our starting 11 changes pieces for this morning, and that, that was the midfield I had down for it, those three. Uh, it's, it's a bit harsh on some players. I think you, you protect Jordan Henderson for this one, don't you? You've got your two number sixes, you rotate them. Harvey Elliott, it feels like he has a little bit of a, a point to prove against Leeds. It'll be his first Premier League start since he dislocated his ankle against them. And Thiago now, he's so important when he's fit. He, he feels like it'll be a natural for him to come in. But then at the same time, with his injury record, maybe he is one you want to protect from the cup final because I'd much rather see him fit and starting against Chelsea than I would against Leeds. There are other options there, of course. Um, James Milner, would you put him in against his former club? You have to wonder what Curtis Jones would be thinking if he's not on the bench for this one. Like He started against, was it the Leicester game when they beat 1-2-0 and he's not been in a squad since. Uh, this feels like it is a game where you, you would want to maybe reward him and go, you've not been forgotten. But at the same time, when they've got so many options there, it is hard to find a place for him. So I'd lean towards the three that you said, Thiago, Elliot and Fabinho. But at the same time, Thiago would be surprised if he was on the bench and it was a Milner or a Cater. Yeah, it'd be nice to see Curtis Jones at least back on the bench, wouldn't it, for, for this one there. Richard, I'll come to you for, for the midfield as well. I think... It would certainly help, I think, Liverpool in terms of being able to, to control against uh, to control a game against Leeds if you have Thiago in there. But at the same time, I can see the argument as well that you really do not want him to, to be picking up a little injury. Yeah, I'm I'm wary of 
there being too many changes, to be honest with you, because this is still a very important game that Liverpool urgently need to win. Um, but I do think that Thiago would probably be, be given a rest and I would agree with Theo that he'd probably um, uh, step on the side of the caution with Jordan Henderson as well. Uh, I have got a slightly different midfield though in terms of the options to come in and I would I, I could see James Milner actually coming in uh, and doing a job here in front of the back four uh, with support from maybe Naby Keita and and. Due, due to his likelihood of not starting in the League Cup final, Harvey Elliott as well in, in that midfield as well. So a bit, bit of a different look to to my midfield um, with the, uh, of course, with the insurance of having been able to make a few changes from the bench if things aren't working out as as they didn't against uh, Norwich and and to to a certain extent uh, uh, into Milan uh, with with that starting team. But yeah, I'll go with uh, Milner, Keita, and Elliott. Interesting. Theo, we'll come to you for the attack, even with a, a couple of injuries, as we mentioned before. Still a couple of options. Are you sticking with the same or bringing in one or two of those fringe players? Um, I'm not sticking with the same. I, I didn't think it clicked. It didn't work until they had the fourth forward and they changed formation and they had Mane back on the left with Diaz through the middle. Uh, Salah, I could see the sense in resting him with one eye on the cup final. Like He's one of the few players that rarely is rested but at the same time it's Mohamed Salah you don't rest him uh, so maybe he's the one that keeps his place uh, I'd like to see Origi through the middle I think he works better as that central striker there is an argument that you put Minamino there or Oxlade Chamberlain there that he's the natural fit ahead of them seems to be more of a threat and then it's Mane or Diaz um, if you start Diaz it's because you're resting Mane for the final but then you might want Mane to play into form, take him off on the hour mark, and then you've got him for the final anyway. I'd lean more towards Mane because I know they are still finding a way to feed Diaz into this side, aren't they? They're taking their time with him. They'll give him the odd start, then they'll put him on the bench for the next one. He's still adapting to English football. So, yeah, Mane, Origi and Salah. Yeah, I thought Diaz looked quite tired, actually, until he got that goal and then suddenly looked all rejuvenated again. But it uh, be interesting to see what they do with him. I'd be tempted, actually, to bring Minamino and Origi in and give both Mane and Diaz a, a bit of a rest, maybe bring them on for, for the last half an hour. But possibly if I had to choose between one or the other, maybe Mane on the left and Minamino through the middle. But Richard, do you want to finish us off with uh, your front three? Yeah, um, I'd start with Salah. I, I can't see him being left out, to be honest with you. Uh, I think he'll play. Uh, I would agree that Origi down the middle is the way to go, um, and I'd feel confident of 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 playing him in in that position. He's despite you know his his the lack of games that that he gets now, he, he's still a player that can be trusted. I think to deliver uh, when called upon, and uh, I think we can safely say he's not going to start the League Cup final. So uh, this is his chance to shine. Uh, which so that just leaves you. That, that position on the left there, Mane or Diaz for me. Um, and, and again, I, I think Mane will start the final. So uh, I think on this occasion, although the Sabres look a little bit uh, tied against Norwich before his goal, I think uh, on the back of the confidence of that goal, he might get another start um, against Leeds on Wednesday. Uh, whether he'll play the full game or not, I, I, I suspect not. But um, I'll go with Salah, Origi and Diaz. Yeah, good stuff. Should be enough, hopefully, to get Liverpool a win. Just before we go, we'll do our match predictions. I'm going to go 2-0 to Liverpool, I think. Theo, do you want to talk us through how you think it might go? 
Um, there's going to be changes, so I expect Liverpool to concede, but I expect them to have enough to win 3-1. Good stuff. Richard? The risk of being a bit boring, I'm going to completely agree with Theo. I see it exactly the same way. I've got a feeling they're not going to keep a clean sheet, but they should have enough to uh, to breach that Leeds defence, and I would also say 3-1. Yeah, well, any kind of win at this stage of the season, as long as Liverpool keep winning, will be absolutely fine. Plenty of build-up and reaction, of course, to come in all of the usual places. But from all of us here on the Blood Red podcast, that's all we've got time for. It's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.